This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. I'm joined by uh, Dan today from Media Week. Dan, hello. Hello, James. Special guest today. This will be a fun podcast. I've got the feeling in the preamble here. I think we're going to have some fun. Joined by Nick and Christian, sort of uh, stars, two of the three creative force behind Soulmate. Yeah, hi. How are you? Hello. Stars is a big, uh, I, I guess that's over-amping it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I want it to be all Aussie then and be like, Stars, nah, that's not like, shut up, like self-depreciating myself to like smithereens. But I guess if you look at one of the definitions of star, as in to be in it, I'm where we are starring. A giant in. ball of gas burning in the oh, galaxy. That's classic Christian, taking it to like the solar system immediately. Just wanting that's to chat so existentially you. three minutes into the podcast. That's so you, that's so Christian. Now, did I get it right? There's, I mean, you two guys are the face, I guess, of, of Soulmates, yeah. but they're, um, Connor's also sort of an Big intrinsic time. part of the team. Yeah, oh, we yeah. get a lot of credit for Connor's work in general. <laughs> yeah, this um, is a true story. He does a lot of the writing and directing of the show. Yeah. And um, the three of us create the show together. But yeah. to note, he's he's also Phoenix, the uh, the model in uh, the Bonner Hips storyline. Or the model slash designer slash budding uh, Illuminati member. Let's see. Let's. Does he get in? Does he get in or not? <laughs> That's the big cliffhanger. <laughs> Did you get any fallout from the Illuminati after the... <laughs> I went through a small paranoid phase of about <laughs> two and a half weeks where I started seeing like little odd things on my computer and I, I was going through this... Um, Oh yeah, I was genuinely worried of like some Illuminati member dumping kitty porn on my laptop and <laughs> calling the men in black suits to come over and shut down our YouTube channel. But then you think about how actually effectual we are as creators and how big our impact is. And then when it's earthed by the fact that it's so tiny that we we don't make a mark. And, and I'm just a paranoid human in general. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, I um, wish we were effective enough to kind of, a, you know, mobilize eggs like that. In fact, I think at the core of it, Krishna, I want to be in it. We, we genuinely be in those part societies. of the reason of like <laughs> yeah. doing the Illuminati oh. jokes is we are hoping that at some point someone genuinely does call Let us, us up see, and go. Like, do you guys want to come along to an Illuminati meeting? I'd be say yes immediately. It's like a done. And then we can find out what the next superfood's going to be before it's the next superfood. <laughs> exactly. I like to think that everybody thinks the Illuminati are really like um, devious and up to all these no. kind of like destructive plans about Not planet Earth, but they're really just going, okay, everyone, kale is going to be the new the biggest food thing. for next year. Yep. So all the kale farmers get a Don't have it throwback. too raw. In fact, let's not tell people, um, let's tell people to have it raw so they get gas and they're uncomfortable. Like, that's the biggest yeah. conspiracy. I don't think they're exactly sitting there going like, oh, the next... Um, the, the next president is going to be this person or then there's going to be we're going to create a giant wave a tsunami that's going to hit this market and all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. towel sales are going to go up dramatically yeah. I think we're very liberal in talking about it because we're not entirely convinced that uh, it's a thing that being said you know I'm sure there's part of me that's saying that uh, to kowtow to the uh, to the dark forces that are. Uh, <laughs> so uh, if you're out there, I'd prefer to be part of you uh, than against you. Uh, so let's let's talk. I mean, everyone else seems to earn their membership by showing triangles and um, <laughs> yeah. making all the right symbology in their videos. We've done the same. We might be like taking the piss a little bit, but we've yeah. actively been putting symbology out there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you guys are listening to the, this podcast, then um, you know, I'll sit in the middle of a star and they get I'll, wanked on yeah <laughs> finger a squirrel or whatever you have to do whatever to you need like get in we there are, we, are, we are malleable we are insecure extremely ambitious very greedy yeah all those we sign contracts without reading them <laughs> yeah so uh, you could get us to do some whack shit pretty quickly yeah dan i think that's possibly the best uh, first question answer we've ever had on the uh yeah, yeah. Podcast. Shall we just drop the microphones now and <laughs> yeah. head on out? We'll just quietly walk away for a little while. Yeah. So in terms of not looking at the contracts that you're signing, uh, mm -hmm. you do have a deal at the moment with NBC Universal where your show is going international now. You mm. can be on CISO, which is their streaming service, kind of like Netflix, but for comedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do you feel about being on a service like that? Does that fit you with your sort of oh. niche audience sort of reach? It couldn't be a better fit in yeah. terms of the creative collaboration that we've had with them and in terms of their needs as a network. Um, you know, our first chat with them, they kind of got on the phone and they just said, 
We love the show the way it is. Um, we love how local and Australian it all feels. We have no advertisers to keep happy. We have. Um, we don't want to change the show. We want you to keep doing what you're doing. Um, we love it. We just want to be involved in a second series of it. And you know, these um, streaming services and SVOD networks, they're selling an umbrella of programs and part of their sales pitch is that, yes, there's some big flagship shows um, like any of the Netflix or Stans or Prestos or, um, you know, they've got some big flagship shows that they kind of invest in quite heavily and that, that's what helps draw new membership in and stuff like that. But they're, they're selling an umbrella. They want to have niche programming. They want filler. Basically, that's Western where we filler. come in. Yeah, which is that's ideal. where we come in. I think it's good. It's uh, everything that Christian said as well. All the executives there, um, creatively, um, just enabled us. They didn't like. I was actually a bit concerned and actually willing to go. All right, well, let's not make it so esoterically antipodean. But they were like, nah, man. Like you are you, and you create you. And they worked brilliantly with the ABC. ABC is so collaborative. It was a that, seamless. It was um, that. That, that Crazy development process between the ABC Messed and the guys up. from CISO was really, you know, they both um, put in a lot of effort to make sure that everything worked towards the program in a way that was collaborative and all, and all their notes and, you know, the ABC notes and CISO notes came in together and their feedback when we got into the edit was kind of all happening simultaneously across markets and all our schedules planned so that we could send things off at night. The CISO guys in the States could look at it overnight, feedback to the ABC by the morning, the ABC yeah, would send their amazing. feedback along with those guys. Uh, it's, it's also just a, I think it's a really exciting time because of these new streaming platforms launching um, in terms of the borderless nature of content that people are consuming um, because I know that I sit at home and I'll watch like some really dark thriller from like Sweden or something and then I'll flick over to some Hectic UK Russian comedy porn. and then <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> I wasn't going to go there that's, I, I don't no, know there's well, no hectic Russian be, porn on Netflix you want to be maybe I on porn be honest about what you consume at home <laughs> just some hectic we're talking really about streaming services here not Red Tube and Pornhub beg your pardon sorry yeah. but are Pornhub and like Red Tube the next step for you guys is that roughly where you're taking the career I don't know if anyone would want to see my dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you don't know. You I've don't seen know it. No, they don't. It's just a dick. No, one wants, no one wants to see it. No one wants to see it. I've seen Christians as well, and I don't think many people would want to see that. I think some would. How do you even know if you're watching Russian porn? I'm. I'm every time I watch porn, I'm being <laughs> so true. sneaky about it that the volume's down. <laughs> and so you just. That's so I like they could. They could literally be going la 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 la, like singing an opera, yeah. and I wouldn't know. Yeah. So, so that's fair. Beg your pardon. Yeah. Uh, now, when dealing with, <laughs> sorry, keeping things serious for a moment. Mm. Uh, when dealing with an organisation like CISO, how high up in the management chain are you guys talking? Like, you as high up as say, like Ev Shapiro, the head yeah, of CISO. Yeah, yeah. A lot of our notes are coming directly from Ev yeah. and yeah. from Kelsey. Um, those. That's that's the other thing with you know the way in which these businesses are structured and set up is they've kind of grabbed a few key people from different networks and pulled them all out i mean a couple of the team members evan and kelsey both moved over from pivot and they had been involved in prior co-development deals with the abc with josh thomas of the show exactly with please like me and also with one of christian's um other projects yeah connor and i had had another show in development with the guys from pivot and so we they're very familiar with that kind of co-pro model and yeah we're we're dealing with the guys at the kind of top um, level there which is really nice too because it means you know they're not having to approve and sign something off and then go higher and higher Mm. and higher again they've kind of got that creative freedom to be able to make calls and your voice isn't being diluted as exercise through management chains no totally slightly and ABC have always been a really good foil for us. They've already always protected our voice and fought for things that we believed in. So I think the environment that we are a part of for this show, I guess, supports our voice. And we're just as self-critical as anyone would ever be on our own uh, stuff as a third party. So, yeah, we've we've got ourselves, a, I think, a, a quite an ideal environment. It's a really nice place yeah. to be um, in terms of our professional development because everything's quite low stakes given the Boy. it's still a low budget comedy it's still a kind of late night thing it's still a pe- that people see it as kind of a niche program uh, and so we haven't run into a lot of the things that you know we've spoken to other people who have created tv shows who have said oh you know we get these really difficult kind of transformative notes coming back and they'll really take the show in a different direction to what we'd originally planned we haven't experienced any of that um and if anything th- both networks seem to be fighting on our team 
to really make sure that jokes end up on screen and that our execution and our ideas are kind of brought to life in the finished format. Mm. What was the first project where you started getting creative input, if you like, from someone with a financial stake in it? Would that have been Soulmates 1? Or That's a re- good question. Then? I would say, was there any um, Bonner Hipster stuff that we did on a commercial level? Oh, there was that first ad that we did. The first experience personally of like that kind of stuff. I think that, in fact, that we shared together was when we did the Bondi Hipsters iconic ad. Remember that? Yeah, and that it was, was with the ad agency, and that was quite traumatic. Okay. It was quite traumatic. I mean, the whole all so that was a new experience for you, right? Brand spanking new. I mean, we'd worked with, we'd had creative projects, uh, maybe on on the other commercial elements that we. And you would have sent up plenty of stuff like that. Now here for, you were, oh, mate, and now here you were actually <laughs> in it, right? <laughs> there was a dude who, from the outset, was this extremely creative competitive dude with a dark passenger so he'd sit there brooding and conspiring on one side of the oval table and like we'd have an idea and then he'd pipe up 45 seconds later kind of putting for an argument while that why that wouldn't work he'd do stuff behind the scenes to change ideas and stuff that was a real pain in the doodle i actually think when you look at the creative process <laughs> anyway like cut, if you... cut in quickly and there was one moment this actual full cliched moment where this dude was he was uh, I think the creative director or director and he's sitting behind the actual director and he was like <coughs> cut cut Christian can you do the same thing but like funny okay cool and yep wanna go again do you remember that I was like man I said this out loud I was like wow did that just happen like it was all very spirited it was all very light there was kind of no meanness on set but I was like that was said out of the mouth of a ponytailed executive <laughs> at an ad, ad agency and this uh, there's a fucking eclipse going on. I thought it was perfect. <laughs> I do think that the, those things are kind of a natural part of like the creative process at its rawest is which is what we've all experienced from making stuff online originally is that you have an idea and you create that idea and there's nobody in between who says well that idea should be this that or the other and we should execute it in this way shape or form it just keeps it very clean from original inception of the idea to the final execution now you know the the difference then when you have say a tv network involved who's and screen bodies who are financing that is then you've got your original ideas you've got the tv network and the screen bodies that are kind of involved as well both on a support level and on a kind of shaping level of the idea not antagonists and then the end result but then in terms of like when you're when you're working with brands and advertisers, there are so many layers between the original oh. idea and the end product because you've got the PR agency, the client, the advertising agency, the media buyers, the um, the different people from each of those uh, you know different outlets that are all involved in the idea and the individuals trying to justify their existence mm-hmm. and their jobs and stuff like that. There's quite a lot of that play. And again, I don't want to be too overly critical. No, it's just that, that is how the, we, that's, that's the literally the process, it. and that's actually why I think it's so hard for people and why it's so hard for people to make really great advertising work. Um, but it's also why great work is so great because it's managed to remain great despite all the people that it's kind of passed through well on, on the way through that's a great point we actually recently did a um did a, a commercial thing with optus and it was the first time certainly for me I'm, I'm just assuming you that we were genuinely left to our own devices is that a word left to our own devices i actually think that actually derived from Sounds i'll cool. leave you to your vices <laughs> But device, I, think I feel I like Old Spice is like that too. Old the Spice, Old Spice had like, a lot of freedom in terms of just this is the basic idea. Go ahead shit. and write yeah. it and make it and no, they'll that, back us for it. And that's great. I think brands are just really important. So I don't want to diss brands and advertising in general because it's a thing that we've, you know, have survived us. But that was an experience that made my gums bleed. <laughs> do, you, um, do you ever have the discussions? I mean, I get the feeling you never... A lot of stuff just sort of happens with you and it's organic or whatever but do you ever sit down and have those discussions where you think maybe we should be steering our careers a little bit and deciding what to do commercially and 
We do have those yeah, chats. Um, definitely, they occur at every opportunity that arises. So often, it's a reactive chat that comes off the back of a particular opportunity. I mean, we mm-hmm. turn down a lot of commercial work. Just going, just that would because... have been. I was going to ask, do you knock back a bit of cash when? Yeah, yeah. which yeah. might yeah. be at times tempting. And you think, yeah. Fully. Oh, yeah, you're down to your last three hundred bucks, <laughs> and that, you know something comes in that's like a big beer brand yeah. or a bank or someone that wants to do something, and that there's big money involved, but. You know, we 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 can we now have a radar very early on in the piece whether or not it's going to sit right with our audience, sit right for the characters, sit right with us creatively, and align with where we want to be going creatively also, with our own career. And also not be a, a and be easy enough to do. Not easy in terms of like not much work, but just like a simple process when you actually see all the potential layers and of fun human. and fun. Because <laughs> we want to try. That, that's part of the thing of working for yourself is that you can actually do things that yeah. are fun for a job and as soon as you start finding yourself in a position where you're doing sorts of the sorts of things that you're not actually enjoying Fully. doing then, then that kind of takes a bit of the love and the passion out of it and so we've managed to stay really um, passionate and I think creative and, and um, prolific and making lots of stuff because we still enjoy it Yeah, enjoyed the whole thing on the way through but we do have these like there's been moments of strategizing you know when we first made Bondi Hipsters um, we kind of clocked up eight or ten edits for videos and we we said to each other like oh you know let's actually and we also had the life organic which was our first musical song that we released as those characters now we're all finished ready to go together and we said you know maybe what we should do is post the kind of on the couch talking videos week by week and get them out there and then after eight to ten weeks when we've populated a bit of content with these characters then we drop the song and then that will drive people back to the other videos kind of thing and we kind of set ourselves some view targets very roughly and and that stuff kind of all worked out and um, exceeded our expectations in terms of the youtube numbers that were coming through we even had a conversation sorry to cut you off go on I was then. I was just going to kind of say, as an extension to that, and how that was working for us. We then decided let's just try for one whole year to put a video out every week, yeah. um, and really establish these characters and their backstory and their dynamic, and and be able to essentially have this like live pilot for how these characters would work in a longer format narrative. And while that's happening, let's kind of start developing a TV show idea. We so. even chatted this morning about a commercial that may may re-air that has taken took the Bondi hipsters to a really broad audience and a TV audience that we never would have access to through either the ABC or kind of our online stuff so the some of the branded stuff that we've we can do with the hipsters has is actually quite vital for us to be as noisy as um, other networks and stuff like there's, that. There's also an inherent <laughs> irony with those characters. And we couldn't do these sorts of things with other characters from Soulmates, um, A, because they're based in different time zones, but, but essentially at the core of Dom and Adrian, the Bondi Hipsters characters, they want to be world famous for being underground. And so, like, they, the actual character thrust of them is one that's ironic. And they would sit there and they would call anyone else sellouts who did any kind of branded activity. But they would also they also need to pay their rent and they also need to buy baggies on the weekend. And they also, you know, like, so they're kind of... We make choices for what we would do with those characters that are essentially the, the choice that the characters would make. Um, and that's kind of what we've stayed most true to. Because I think, you know, with stuff we've done in the past, that even, you know, with the iconic thing, Dom and Adrian would see that as within being within fashion and something that's within the fashion industry and cool for them to be associated with. Old Spice is a brand that has, you know, launched... Um, launched and relaunched people's careers and has been a cool brand that has found a really unique, fun, random way of talking to a new audience um, and they would think that's cool. Um, and so we've just kind of... We've kind of made our choices for what sort of branded things to be involved in based on what Dom and Adrian would do. In yeah. terms of the audience, are you finding a new audience now that you're on Netflix? So Soulmate Season 1's up on Netflix Australia now. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying we've seen the show on Netflix and um, when Season 2 coming to Netflix. And yeah, it started really open up in a new kind of way yeah yeah which is like great. you're finding an entirely different audience this way now or yeah. is it a bigger audience do you think or just more probably of the more of our yeah. audience i suppose because the the you know we we had this chat too you know after season one dropped and it was on um abc2 and iview 
Um, you know, I was thinking back to my relationship with We Can Be Heroes and finding Chris Lilly stuff. Mm. And for me, my relationship with finding that was on DVD. Like it, it kind of, that kind of went viral on DVD a little bit after it, it had originally aired, um, particularly We Can Be Heroes. Probably. And and I, we kind of had this thing like where we were kind of going, it's a little bit sad that DVDs as a as a thing are starting to decline after Soulmate Season 1's come out because I don't think we're going to be in that same kind of... The market didn't have that same opportunity for the DVDs to really blow up and become a big point for driving in new audience. But then, you know, uh, with the across that period SVODs have just become hugely part of everybody's consumption um, daily in terms of what they're watching on television and that's I think that's been our real opportunity for longer life and audience expansion in terms of the ongoing life of the show and I know my relationship with some of the comedies I've found recently like say Broad City you know I only found when three seasons of that show have been out and before I'd heard about it and then I've gone back and I've inhaled all, all of the seasons of that on different SVOD platforms. Um, you know, Peaky Blinders only just found that's three seasons deep. I've gone back and watched that. Uh, I think that's our, our extended life for Soulmates will be as we enter new territories and as we get to do new seasons and introduce new stories, people will go back and find the earlier ones, you know, hopefully through platforms like Netflix yeah. and CISO. Yeah, I mean, CISO is occupying that now. So when people start seeing it on CISO, they'll have two seasons to... Yeah, that, track on. that's totally. right. They're going to release um, both seasons at the same time. Seasons one and yeah. two are going to drop on CISO on the 1st of September. Mm. So ABC still has the kind of worldwide premiere. And then- are ABC dropping it like weekly or will they do like a one season dump on that first day? On iView, one season dump, but weekly yeah. on ABC. What used to be formerly ABC One, yeah. which is now just ABC Main, I guess. So I mean, and your then- audience are iView people, surely. Yeah, totally. Mm. Totally. And we, we think um, that when it is dropped on ABC, our main channel, that we'll find a new audience. Like, I, I, I genuinely think we will. I don't think... I think it's niche to an extent, but I think mm. um, the more people that see it tend to like it naturally. Well, not naturally, but fortunately. And, yeah. There is a nice testament to the, the work, the hard work of all our cast and crew and the hard work of everyone involved in the show um, and also, you know, the support of the guys in the ABC that they've moved us from, you know, season one being on ABC2 to season two going straight to the main channel on a Wednesday night, kind of, you know, their, their main comedy night. Um, so that's really exciting for us. And I suppose it for us it kind of feels like it continues that the growth of, you know, season one we went from the internet to television, season two we're going from a second channel to the main channel and now with some US distribution as well. Um, so that's been nice for us creatively. Feels grown up. Mm. I can't but help chuckle. I don't want to keep this too serious. So I can't but help chuckle when he says a dump of all the uh, content. Some people might think that's quite appropriate when it comes to your guys. Yeah, you exactly. Guys. What are you trying to say? We're full <laughs> of shit. Yeah. The content harsh. is shit. It's a bit harsh, James. Like, yeah, James. What are you, what, what's the real communication there? Soulmates on. on iView. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, give us some insight into you talk, you've got a lot of deals going on and stuff. What? Who sort of d- works with you behind the scenes? Do you have management, um, you know? Where? What's the setup? We we're, we have representation with uh, agents domestically and uh, internationally. Okay. Uh, Christian and I are both relatively savvy on the commercial stuff, uh, just through our histories and our intimacy with, obviously, the project of the Bondo Hipsters from Word Go. So we tend to vet stuff, and then in terms of their further negotiation that then kind of goes through um, our representation. We also have the machine that is ABC commercial. Oh, fully. So they've been... Oh, okay. They're, oh, they're yeah. actually terms, a massive yeah. vital Got part it. of um, getting international fully. interest. So, you know, that they had a large part in driving the Netflix sale, the... Um, All the part. The UK, Ireland. You know, it's actually... Because it's been picked up by Australia, New Zealand, UK and Ireland um, on Netflix. And then they also had a huge part in driving that CISO arrangement as well. So we've got the guys there um, and then the ABC internally through the comedy department, guys like Rick and Andrew who have been pushing the show really hard from from within the ABC and also having their own conversations with people when they're around at different trade shows and festivals. And then we have our own management and representation who also just kind of keep all that, keep all those things linked together and, and keep us involved on, on the way through. Uh, are you guys a pushover when it comes to negotiation or are you really you in there and... Uh 
given it? Because you said you're a bit savvy. I was wondering, has that come from sort of some some hard lessons where you might have missed some opportunities and or mm. people took advantage, or you just you just got it? Connor and I did have a really well. yeah. Connor and I had a really hard learning um, through the first. We won. We basically entered a film contest um, that was called the 180 Project at the time um, that was run through MTV, and um, we did have a hard kind of lesson. In, in winning that contest, we were given a budget of $180,000 to create a, a pilot program. Which must seem massive back Which then, seemed right? huge, because we'd just been making internet videos You're thinking, look, we can knock this off for 20 provide the rest. <laughs> yeah. Let's take this thing to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, we, we actually... It was actually the opposite in that we were so enamoured with this opportunity that we paid ourselves nothing and we poured everything into the budget and as we went through we were just cutting our own fees bit by bit by bit uh-huh. to, to get more of that money ending up on screen because we were like you know what this is this is an opportunity to really show our skill set and show what we're capable of and work with professional people in doing it um, and look you know like some of these competitions have um, in terms of things like Australian Idols and um, you know the TV based competitions that involve creators you you don't realise that the that the contracting at the end of it kind of you've given away ownership of your idea and your concept and things like that. So we we did have a bit of a struggle at the back the back end of that competition in being able to continue to create that idea and develop that with other people. Um, and so that was a bit of a lesson for us contractually and has been something that look we've just tried. Um, and I know Nick's tried this as well, and like we, we, this is what we let our management and agencies know on the way through. Is we just try our hardest to retain as much of the copyright ownership as we can, but because that's the real work and the real kind of hardcore hours we put into developing the concepts and creating the basis of what is going to be an idea from our brains that creates jobs for people within the industry. And so we just try our hardest to maintain copyright ownership of that. And this, it's down to little decisions like, you know, rather than bringing on a production company to produce Soulmates, we decided to use, uh, you know, Van Vuren Brothers, our company, and Ludo, Nick's company, as a partnership to set up a special purpose vehicle company to produce the show so that we weren't having to bring in another production company that would then get some ownership of the show as well, which would mean an extra voice in trying to sell it. That's a part of the ball acre is sometimes using third-party producers uh, or production companies who are used to kind of obviously assuming all the rights for the program. So that was the biggest thing for us is setting up our own outfits. That was a real kind of um, response to that. And I think we're, we're just savvy in, to an extent, you know. We don't deal with the contracting specifically, but we make sure we're across the commercial terms and stuff. And I had a history in music management on the management side of things so and that that had been since 2004 so i was used to dealing in entertainment businessy stuff or at least talking to it <clears throat> that said so you- just elements that we're across but we're definitely not you know uh so Elon you'd seen other people who look like they could be making mega bucks actually getting very little We've heard and a few horror stories. Yeah. Some of the traps to avoid. You know? Yeah, just a handful of those traps. And the main one was setting up our own production outfits. You know, I've seen quite a few people who I now have a company with and companies with who got bitten on their first TV projects quite hard um, based on that. Because when you're starting out, it is like, wow, I can't believe there's A, a production company pumped in working with me and B, a network blast. So you're just willing to like... I'll do it for nothing and sign everything over, but it's not the best thing moving forward. There's also the on, the on, the long tail of that too is um, and part of it's not just about copyright ownership and and um, I suppose creative control. It's also about your ability to get your next things made um, because the like you know Screen Australia and Screen New South Wales have been hugely supportive to us in what we've done and they've been oh. so great um, through both their multi-platform department and their production divisions and through their enterprise um, platform. Uh, you know projects but the the um if we were to work with another production company in when we first made soulmates and they would have kind of be the producers of the show and then it, it would also mean that we haven't necessarily clocked up the credits to be able to use that in further applications that we're making to get our next things made so we're also always thinking about um you know what we can learn who we can work with but also how that can help us with our next move that we're we're you know that we're gonna make 
um, because we've got aspirations to make feature films and other TV shows and in some cases we actually want to work with other production companies Boy. to get these things moving in other cases they're things that we want to turn around nice and quickly and be able to drive ourselves um, so I suppose putting some of those having a think about some of those things before you sign contracts um, in the early stages just help you be able to make more choice and have more freedom of choice later one example of that is when we entered the soulmates agreement um with all parties involved we kind of carved out the bondi hipsters and said look we just this is something that we've already been working on for two years characters that we've already developed and built an audience for and we're bringing that audience into this project that's almost our two years worth of work and our investment in the characters and the audience we've built is is kind of a financial stake in the show itself so we just want to carve that out and make sure that we retain retain full ownership of those particular characters um you know it, it just separated them from the other characters and worlds that were being created as part of the format with everybody involved yeah in terms of that next project uh one of the things you're best known for is beached as which is definitely where I first yeah uh is that something you'd want to do again like animation is uh an yeah area? I'd love to I would love 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 to do more animation stuff mm. I've got a few little ideas brewing and I think it suits my the more I get to know maybe my strengths and my weaknesses um I think the con uh, like animation conceptually works quite well in my head like how how um you can make harder turns quicker turns you can just I think right in a very different way so yeah so so in the short answer is yes mm. I would love to yeah love to and in your mind is that short form or is there uh, it's, uh, the ideal scene would be long form I don't you know I mean I guess just because it's a, a little bit more um, of of a challenge but I frankly I would do pretty much anything when I really kind of zero in on the concept that I'm, I'm stewing around in my head mm. Um, I'll, I'll go for it and the format of it will um, will kind of evolve I would say but long form would be wonderful yeah yeah. We're, Connor and I are also thinking of doing some yeah some animation stuff as well um, down the line it's like so all fun. our favourite shows comedically and things that we continually reference as we're creating and as we're going through are things like South Park and oh, that so kind of balance of silliness, um, crudeness, but <laughs> intelligence and, you know, really solid concepts and saying, you know, things that say comedy that says something. And I think like I Connor is like obsessed with The Simpsons and studied The Simpsons from a satirical point of view. The, I think, you know, the whole way through high school and into university and um, a lot of his writing uh, kind of feels Simpsons-esque in, in moments of some of the caveman stuff. And I know, yeah, I know that he's got a real solid love for The Simpsons from a long-term, you know, it's been a long can relationship. You, um, can you be a bit dirtier in animation than you can in... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> I kind of think you can. I think you, you fully, can get away with stuff. Which I'm guessing might appeal a, to at yeah, times, the right? The South Park guys had Hillary Clinton queefing confetti straight to the camera <laughs> in a shot. Don't know how easy that is pulling off uh, in live action. It's pretty phenomenal the, the lengths that you can go to when you sit behind an animation. But to that end... There's an assumed cuteness. Yeah, it, Like you kind of... Everything's Aww. softened by the fact that it's not real. And yeah. It's clearly not yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. I also yeah. think legally you're actually allowed to get away there's you know we've had if anything the the only gags that we kind of get pulled up on on the way through or that the networks have ever stepped in and said oh you've got to take it easy there are things that would be considered legally um legally prof what, what, what's the words defamation defamation and also defaming a, a real yeah, person yeah there was a, a george pell gag that we had a, a Cardinal Pell be gag careful. that we had. Oh, no, be careful. <laughs> a tell beep, you what, beep, a cup of beep, beep, Tell you what, gag. though, it would have been spot on. <laughs> it would have been spot on. So, in fact, I, in fact, I should probably say that I've, I've heard Cardinal Pell just in the news recently saying that he reckons there's an ABC smear campaign happening against him. If our experience is that the ABC were protecting him yeah, fully. from us being able ABC to say ABC were protecting... <laughs> Cardinal Pell. There's a well, scoop for yeah. us, Dan. There, no, there right. is a scoop. That's the quote there's leading this. The ABC genuinely went out of they their said, way. Don't, they said, don't go there. They, yeah. they, <laughs> they not only said, don't go there, they were honouring his... Integrity. Uh, integrity. 
in spite of all. <laughs> no, like it was definitely the right. They definitely were saying the right things. Yeah. But I actually just felt bad when I, I actually felt protective of the ABC when I heard Cardinal Pell say that there's some smear campaign. Oh, totally. Him because there clearly isn't. If we were being told remove those things from the. And they weren't as extraordinary as a handful of other things that may have actually got passed. But when those creative moments happen, is there a moment where you? think oh, I should be outraged but then a couple of no, hours later you're going oh no, no right. or do you just get it straight away very little reactivity between us and ABC because you know first comes the question it's like okay this is this has popped up as an issue it's probably their processes that doesn't prod us or poke us at all but it's like okay so here's a, here's something that's been red flagged by editorial so let's just talk about it and so we just have to you know justify the idea uh to the extent that it's set in an intelligent, prevailingly intelligent idea, and then we're good. But if it's something that's defamatory, and by definition, what we were going to do, I wouldn't go into it. <laughs> yeah, 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 don't yeah. go into it because it, no, it would now be detail. defamatory no, to go no. into the detail here. But the um, oh. I mean, there's little things like, say, for example, in season one, there's a scene where um, during a song. Uh, Nick's character Adrian is holding a bebop and rocksteady doll and he's making them have sex with each other in the bath and there's kind of a gag where he says like bebop um, <laughs> rocksteady rubs the lotion on its skin bebop gently guides his penis in or something like that right and, <laughs> something ambiguous like that yeah and so he's like making the two toys have sex but then we never got permission from the the creators of those toys and so when we went out with the DVDs and all the commercial side of the program there's two black boxes over those two toys so it just looks like he's just holding two black censored boxes <laughs> and you can't actually tell what's going on underneath but there's there's they're, they're the uh, I suppose the only things that you know have to kind of and they're, they're conversations that anybody has to have Probably. in the lead up to a show so we never feel like oh no. we're being censored or, or this isn't fair but coming back to the thing about animation is you can just do that in an animation because it's different enough from the real thing and it's so clearly parody and, and satire that it's... Yeah, yeah, I think they're just... Um, they get away with a lot more. But unfortunately, Ninja Turtle was never actually talking in that direction back in the day. <laughs> yeah, no. They didn't. No. The, the safety of the Saturday morning animation <laughs> quite get Rocksteady and Bebop over the line. But what kid does not make their toys have sex? That's the, that's the thing that oh, I found most. Yeah, fully. Like, that's mm. just one of the things you do. It's really like, an astute observation. My Ninja Turtles were smashing Barbies all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Barbie liked it. Uh, season two of the show, are you focusing on the same characters going through or have you got new characters mixed into the... So three of the stories are the same. So the Bondi hipsters are back. The Kiwi assassins have returned. Um, we've got the cavemen uh, back again. But we're introducing a new story set in ancient Egypt. Um, yeah. And we call it tombs kind of internally. But it's on one hand, it's kind of like a, a really weird, fucked up family comedy um, about... Uh, an ancient powerful family with the pharaoh Hatshepsut at the head of the family and she has two children one of them is a bird-headed demigod warrior warlord head of the army's kind of um huge buff warrior guy and the other one is her bastard child um who's played by nick and he's a kind of dark twisted uh extremely vexed um kind of you know quiet guy who'll never who no, no one in the family likes and he'll never be able to inherit the throne and all that sort of thing so on one hand it's kind of like weird family comedy and on the other hand it's a workplace comedy um because he ends up having to make the the tomb for his um older brother design his older brother's tomb and he kind of goes down this path of wanting snake pits and boulder traps and you know arrows coming out of the walls and counterweighted goblets that if moved by the tiniest fraction of weight difference Damn, would bring down the tomb. Game of Thrones mate. yeah <laughs> this is going to be the new go to right yeah 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 <laughs> when I think about the sort of creative output of you guys the only other people that I think are working in a similar sort of um, I'm going to use the word milieu Ooh, <laughs> oh, what does that mean? good <laughs> I'm going to pretend I know what that means <laughs> I'm just going to imagine it means vain it's exactly what it means um, I'm thinking about these guys in South Australia Dario Russell oh, and yeah. David Ashby fuck yeah they did Danger 5 yeah, which awesome. like the scope they're working at and I hear about you guys doing this ancient Egypt thing and it feels like a very similar sort of a production we're both interested yeah. creatively in genre play stuff you know like those guys have they have just really nailed that genre right. and, and they've, they're very good at doing that and for us you know in different ways um 
say for example with Kiwi Assassins, uh, Connor, who who's done the vast amount of writing on that story, he's he's written that story. Um, he um, he kind of likes playing around with the. 90s action movies, late 80s, early 90s action movies like Tango mm. and Cash and... Um, so the classics. The classics, like <laughs> yeah. Lethal Weapon. There's a lot of Lethal Weapon, Tango and Cash kind of vibes in, in the relationship between those two guys and the stories and the tropes that we play with. So we, we play around with that genre for that story. And in, you know, it's funny you mentioned Game of Thrones because when we first kind of conceived this ancient Egyptian story, there were two ways we could have gone with it. One of them would have been going down that kind of 60s uh, Cleopatra kind of um, a little bit camp you know yeah. theatrical which feels like the Danger Egypt. 5 way of approaching it totally yeah. um, or the other way which felt like kind of ripe for satire for us was to go down the Game of Thrones um, you know uh, Vikings Rome kind of it's a slick HBO drama mm-hmm. style and since a lot of our writing was leaning towards playing around with themes of like incest and um, you know just lots of uh, genocide and just those um, chestnuts killing slaves we found that, like that incest and genocide hadn't really been played with in the comedic space but so it's, it's just, good timing for it because yeah it's great timing given it, how the world is right now no but given that so many people are watching ga- things like Game of Thrones yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that that you know, Monty Python have been very good for a huge number of years at doing that kind of period thing with a very political, outwardly yeah. com- comedic comedic style. But we wanted to kind of go, we wanted to aim for that kind of expensive HBO style, and then just land wherever we could get to with our limited yeah. budget and crew. And the guys like from the art department and from our camera department and lighting, and they've just like that. When you when you watch that part of the story, it feels so much more expensive than what it actually was. It's wonderful, um, and the sound design that was brought to that world oh, by Songzu, who did all the sound design for that, yeah, it just you know it's a set made of things of plastic and timber and cardboard, and it feels and sounds like it's all gold and iron and you know marble and. It all just feels expensive and looks expensive, and we're really proud of the execution of that. Dan, I'd really like to go shopping with these guys. I think it'd be an amazing experience, and probably they no, no, they probably don't even buy stuff, but they just go because one of your recurring themes seems to me to be retail. Yeah, and the experiences people have to put up with. And yeah. look, look, I can't wait for this. Like Dom and Adrian back in the new Soulmates, and get this. Um, opening the closed cafe an establishment so Bondi cool that it's only open when it's shut <laughs> yeah yeah if you can wrap your head around that I'm not sure you want to go shopping with me unless you like getting blood splattered all over your shirt because every time I go shopping I want to shoot myself no, but right, I, yeah. I guess you must even you must almost have a sport oh. of just hanging around maybe in a store and go in there, you pick. identify some store with some likely sales assistants and they watch this this is going to be hilarious it's probably things that we've both been guilty of it, because we've both worked in retail and I've been a you know okay. barista and also have observed as a consumer of but I'm just eternally fascinated between the dynamic of you know staff member junior staff retail member and customer it will never cease to fascinate me I mean the cafe thing like we've we've all Blown kind of mind. noticed that every new cafe is kind of trying to be cooler and doing things more differently <laughs> yeah and they literally when you go in and ask for a coffee these days it feels like you're getting them to do you a favor by giving them seven bucks so they can make you a coffee yeah fully and so like and then they hand you a deconstructed coffee yeah you know like caf- you know like caffeine and and milk separated and your own sweetener on the side it is quite and so we were talking about what it would be like if Dom and Adrian started their own cafe and Connor kind of had the idea that you know, they would actually have a cafe called Closed that would be a closed-themed cafe, and so nobody would even know it was open. Um, and so we ended up kind of, yeah, shooting all this stuff and kind of cooking up ridiculous coffee ideas for what Dom and Adrian's versions of deconstructed coffee well, would you, be. you must have been. There's a place in Bondi I think my daughter took me to. You can't get regular milk or no. something. Yeah, you yeah. can only get macadamia milk. Yeah, or almond milk or oh, stuff like right, this. Oh, right, right, right. How do you milk an almond? <laughs> they got the the tiny little weird little teats. <laughs> yeah. I've never been able to get my head around that. Yeah, no. Nah. If it doesn't have a nipple, then it's not actual milk. It's just liquid almonds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you guys been considered all about bringing back Trent from Punchy? Like, could he be a soulmate? 
Oh, gosh. He lives in the same lifetime as Dom and Adrian. Yeah, so, so that would not necessarily be possible unless That's we... our one narrative rule, is that any new story needs to be in a different lifetime. Unless different we're... You can't pop in as the customer. Possibly. I mean, you know, you could do some of that. Oh, Trent's a bit of an enigma, really. <laughs> it's hard to know how he'd actually fit or whether you could watch him for more than that minute and a half. Does he even know how to get to Bondi? Definitely not. Mm. He would just be as reluctant as be as reluctant to leave uh, Punch Bowl as Dom and Adrian are to leave Bondi. Mind mm. you, if he heard there was like a bottle of methylated spirits sitting on the beach, <laughs> he'd probably be there Mate, in a split if, if there was a leftover kind of box of Omo on the street, Streets of like Upper Bondi Road, he would be there snorting in a second. Was was Trent from Punchy? Um, did it sort of ignite? I don't know some creatively a, a, a marker for you in terms of you know you realise well look at the audience that, that there is out there. For Just the to be super stuff. clear too, we had nothing. Um, Connor and I had nothing to do with Trent, and Trent yeah. was all Nick's brainchild. Sure. Yeah. Um, Trent, well, Trent... Don't want to take any credit for that. <laughs> I mean, it's still like the biggest thing on the internet ever. It's not that I don't want to yeah. be involved in it. Yeah. It's that. It's not fair for (laughs) us to get any credit for that awesome piece of work. But I just mean, yeah, in terms of the audience, and we all of a sudden going, wow. Oh, no, I found it 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 bizarre because at the time I was still in music management and I I definitely had a a dormant creative thrust, but I was just too terrified. At that point in my life in 2008, the idea of performance or acting or doing anything creative as a life was just as extraordinary as me being a fucking assassin it was just like it's another life and I glorified artists and to, you know and to an extent that's that's fair enough but what it did for me it was like it acknowledged my a certain creative capacity it was only a couple of years later that I decided to really pursue acting and stuff but after doing that I was like oh shit okay I could have ideas that people might dig I could have some performance minerals that might stick or I could build on you know just a bit of that stuff it is an interesting question though as well in terms of like you know the looking at you know some of the things we'd think about if it was like would Trent be a character in Soulmates there is when you're creating together and you know like Connor and I are doing a lot of our own stuff and Nick's also doing a lot of his own stuff and this is a show Bondi Hipsters and Soulmates is the stuff that we really work on together it's like when you're when you're collaborating on stuff like that there's also there's things like Nick's had ideas before that haven't necessarily resonated with Connor and I that he's gone out and created outside of that and has done a really awesome job of and done a better job of than we could have done together and collaboratively and there's like you know things like even if nick was to go should we put trent in soulmates like i'd i'd often wonder if our if if our writing and directing style would do the character justice in the way that nick sees the vision of the character and like what that character's journey would be so there's like things like that often come up too and you know there's there's things that we might things that might get thrown around you know nick had this one of the ideas we were thinking about originally for um soulmates was this idea called cassius who's like a a rat who was going to be a rapper in the future um who had this kind of like social network built around him and the story ended up never getting to a place within the context of soulmates that we felt like we could execute it properly and it's something that nick's done through meanwhile on earth which is another kind of sketch show that nick's uh involved in you know there's there's things in our collaborative relationship where we go oh you know that's the thing that Connor and I might just work on on the side or that's the thing that Nick will just continue to work on on the side and that's you know it's nice like that as yeah well. it is because you go you three of you working together it's not like every single idea each of you have is a thing that's going to gel for all three of you and that's something that as the longer we've been working together the more we've been figuring out about each other and about the about the creative relationship is which things kind of work together for the show and which things are things that we can explore yeah. separately or whatever yeah. I think one of you guys might have to go yes. soon so I, I should, you've got to go pretty soon I'll punch through a couple of quicker things for you I've seen you work with uh, Paul Fennick um, oh yeah a bit of respect there for him is there Do yeah sort of... I mean Paul is a certain kind of egg isn't he <laughs> he I mean he is prolific he is fast he knows exactly what he wants and I'm sure he's got an IQ of a billion and he just does shit. And he's got a particular... And it's his stuff. Con- he does it his, his way, doesn't style, he? His yeah. He does it his own way. He's got his, 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 in, his microcosm that all know how he works, of which he's the, the, the overlord of. And he does his thing. You know, it's great. Yeah. Like, it, it, he's, a real, he's a real hustler. And I, I 
I have not worked with him particularly intimately, so I don't know his inner workings sure. too much. But on the day that I worked with him, but he was just open. That, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Also, as a creator, like, there's a huge amount of respect there. Um, and shit. it's like, you know, he's one of the people who we, we look look at and go, that's someone who's making his own stuff, getting it done, getting it made, being able to do it his way, and you yeah. know, all those things he said. Props. A lot of Overtures from commercial media, like mainstream TV. Have you had those discussions, or it's not, against it's it. not really happened, or have you ever been surprised, or...? In terms of like, yeah, like words, a seven yeah, or nine or ten, or ever rung up and said, "Come and have a chat." There's always guys, been you know. really open lines of communication and good vibes between um, any conversation that I've had with a major network. Soulmates was always a, an ABC thing, and similarly, like Beach Daz as well. Um, I'm definitely not against it, but I don't know, if, you know, the race of what we make, how how aligned that would be with a major network at this point in time. I mean, but far out, like, um, on No Activity was on Stan, which is Channel 9, and No Activity is a kick-ass show. Mm. So there's, they're doing some really Is it almost stuff. better your, for your brand to be a little bit sort of off-Broadway, if you like, maybe, do you think? Maybe, maybe. Yes. I don't know. I'm more than open to working with the major networks. I don't think... I mean, some of the... Exec- the check is, right? Well, there's partly that, but also some of the executives at these major production companies and major networks are fucking rad. Hmm. You know, they're really good. They do really good stuff, and they're as bright as anything. So I, mean, it's, I know it's, for me personally yeah. that it's. I still feel like, um, you know, I still feel like I'm very much in a learning phase, Fully. and that hmm. this has been like work. You know, this is still creative university, still learning. Figuring, yeah, you know, um, just kind of getting confident in the different roles that I'm doing and that we're doing, you know. And um, you know, Connor and I share similar, similar thoughts on this. In that, you know, like at, at the moment, we're we're constantly pushing ourselves, working in a way that um, the networks that we're working with and the the people that we're collaborating collaborating with are definitely the right people and Fully. at the right time. As we, you know, I like the I like the level of stakes that we're working with at the moment. I. You know, I'm not sure. I still think I personally would en- enjoy another kind of three or four years of really honing the craft, getting more confident in the different roles that I'm doing, and really working out the industry and exactly what works, and um, you know, comedic style and sensibility and all those kinds of things um, before making that step into the, into a commercial level. Because I, I just also, I, I don't even know if if I see that as a thing that would be a step that I particularly want to take. Um, if, if from a career point of view, we can maintain working with the people that we're working oh, with, I genuinely think love the ABC, the ABC. Makes the best stuff. Yeah, fully. In the well, it's a different world now, isn't it? Because in the old days, you didn't have a choice; you had to go with mainstream media, or no one could see your stuff. Right, right. Whereas now, they've got so many options, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I really have hope such love for the ABC; it's ridiculous. So I really hope a, like yeah. Netflix and stuff like that start throwing some decent production money into like locally made content and mm-hmm. things like that. Because I also, you know, if you can do stuff without that advertising revenue being something that needs to support it, then comedically you're always going to be more free. Well said. I like that plea for funding, mate. That, 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 nice. That, let's hope it gets <laughs> Good to the right work. people. Yeah. I think they're um, open, yeah. Radio. I mean, sitting here listening to you, I'm thinking you would perhaps be great doing these sort of, if you like, anti-breakfast show, you know, whereas uh, you don't do all the cliched stuff you do, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a cool idea. It was about radio. It's a good idea. of you to say. I mean, we've become... We hosted more... Triple J for a week. Oh, I want to the fun you could have with punch that myself format, in the dick. You know, yeah. I would sooner <laughs> literally cut my dick off than do, like, proper high-stakes breakfast radio ever again. Um, because it was so hard. Like, doing, like, proper breaky radio for Triple J is hard. It is a craft. Like, Hamish and Andy and those eggs who do radio at that level I have such respect for but we could do an anti-breakfast show where we could cuss and fluff about I would happily do something like that you, um, you, don't, you think that internet trolls are bad wait till you see the Triple J text line like oh, that, I, mate, seriously really? the people who work there must have the thickest skin because that's like a portal to the darkest corners of Australia um, and you know because it's Triple J which is such an institution every person out there feels like they own a stake in it which yeah. they do it's everybody's yeah. radio yeah. station but people are not afraid to tell you that that joke was shit or that was not funny <laughs> or that you know to go and kill yourself or whatever they <laughs> and the thing like, is you get daily every single minute really the darkest parts of your own mind ratified to the finest detail 
by individuals on that text line. Like, you might have a kind of this seething weird insecurity, and they'll nail it on the head. Yeah, do you know how many times you're saying the word whatever? Like, can you stop saying whatever? It's like, oh, you think you're funny, but you've found a niche um, for a brief little moment. And you've exploded that. And you've you've exploded that. And it's just like, holy shit, why do you know my demons? (laughs) How do you know my demons? I kept saying it really well. Well, yeah. yeah. I kept saying that every time, every morning we got on the radio and I put the headphones on and I stepped towards the microphone. It was like I was Dr. Xavier wheeling into the... <laughs> yeah. What's his machine called? The uh, Cerebro. Cerebro. It was yeah. like I was Dr. Xavier wheeling into the Cerebro, but instead of seeing mutants, I was just seeing... Australia. Australia. Like the... Just like, you know, a redneck lady who's mowing a lawn in a front yard going, shut up, get off my radio. Yeah. yeah. And then like some guy picking up bins and putting them down. <laughs> down and (laughs) put the funny people back on the radio yeah oh mate trauma I I can assure you Triple J has nothing compared to ABC local radio and Radio National oh right the slightest word uh, mispronunciation you're done for yeah oh mate people were picking up on the kind of resonance of my voice and stuff I just not used to that constant barrage at six in the morning (laughs) like Nick literally spent half the time laying on the ground I was like oh (laughs) fuck it (laughs) (laughs) I started smoking again. <laughs> Christian and I, I believe you started smoking again as well. Oh, a few morning darts. It's like went, went oh. down on this like self-destructive path for a good 10 days. That's sort of... Uh, this is the last one from me. Um, that sort of segues into my question about... We live in a very PC world now. And I was going to ask you, does that sort of... Does that hamper you a little bit? But then I was thinking when I'm getting ready to ask it, but, but does it more help? It helps. You know, it, it, it lets you really thrive perhaps. Well, and, and almost rebel unintentionally against all this, which is really sort of censorship. It's, guess, it, it? Right. It's unintentional rebelling. Like, it's mm. not like, oh, I'm going to go any... But what it does is, like, as soon as I feel that kind of censorship, I my natural thrust is to be relatively, uh, like, a contrarian. Yeah, go in the other direction more than you might normally do. More than I might normally do. I never, And also, I feel... In, Just this is, stick it up. And, right. Well, this, this is, like, not enough of a defence, but I feel like yeah. I'm indemnified by my intentions, which isn't good enough. Like, you can say things, you can be well-intended, that can hurt, and I'm fully aware of that. But I also want to continuously like I guess push and push and push and push and say and say and say and say because I think it helps I think ultimately it helps certainly with a good intention the net result is helps you can be slightly destructive along the way and I would hope that I'm not that but you know I mean it is in itself also a source of comedy um, like the whole over-censorship and offensiveness hell um, and it's still moving from that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's PC-ness. This egg, nothing that I could say could be anywhere near as potentially as bad as A, well, this, what he's yeah, done, this, B, what he's covering this up. Is the, yeah. This is the, allegedly. Uh, but this is, this <laughs> is the, Sorry. but this is also the point is like this question, you know, I heard John Stewart talk recently on this topic and it's like, this is a question that comedians are asked all the time. Like how far is the line and what's, what, what's, what can't you joke about and what's too far and, you know, his response to that was like why do comedians always get asked that question but politicians aren't you know like what when is the when is one drone bomb too many when is uh, when is one um sending refugees to how many refugees is too many to keep in the totally center how these are life and death decisions that are being made and then comedians are exploring an idea to you know both I suppose justify something creatively within themselves or explore what might be an intelligent insight something that, an idea they might have been developing for nine months um, and trying to find the, the right way to communicate that idea and somebody in 15 seconds can be offended by that thing that's and taken you know, nine months to fully. craft and so who's like whose opinion is more important yeah. on that scale I mean there are all sorts of things that are super 2016 at the moment because there's all sorts of shit happening in the world and governments are all getting like more and more conservative and things are all tightening no. and there's all these like racial tensions Fuck that are that. developing in different places I mean that we should be asking the questions of genuinely of people in power and of people you know totally. should be free to explore in, in our feed we see a truck driving down a street of Nice that's in our fucking feet. Yet I can't show a nipple or a mangina. Exactly. Or say some kind of joke that may or may not be real about a cardinal who's the front of an organization that has systemic issues. That is fucked up. That is so twisted. We should have tantrums about this. But 
I, we don't because we're polite and I guess we don't want to make an effect and I guess I kowtow to whatever brainwashing I'm a victim of. But that is a version of insanity that I would hope in the tiny, teeniest, littlest way we contribute to breaking in the tiniest way. I realize our impact in reality is very tiny, but that's the thrust of it. Well, when you guys join the Illuminati, you can do something yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, fully. Yeah. We'll be I mean, maybe they're the people who are saying... Hey everyone, let's just be kind of cool and nobody offend anybody. <laughs> but, You'll know when I'm in when I'm being really beige. Yeah. Look, this has been great. Uh, really great having you guys in here. Soulmates 2 yeah. uh, on the ABC, on iView. Uh, Netflix has got the first season. I think the first season's on iView temporarily until um, yeah, they've d- for they've, a couple of weeks as well. They've dumped it on iView. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Quickly, just to... There. Dan, we'll look back on this hour in a couple of years and when these guys are pulling Ricky Gervais sort of uh, revenue in mate uh, appearing on the Tonight Show and hugging Jimmy Fallon as they walk on set we'll go hey remember that hour we spent with those guys oh I'll be flipping them the triangle sign so <laughs> yeah to you know what, what, that we're in look at the end of the day all of this passion really stems to the fact that we want to just you know keep have making more, stuff keep yeah. making stuff yeah. yeah we've kind of gone all in on this as a career now um, I mean, once you've been naked on the internet enough times <laughs> and, you know, there's footage of you eating your mate out dressed as a caveman, then it's pretty hard to get normal jobs. So it's either it's either that or, you know, I like to think that one day my son isn't going to be getting ripped in at school and teased um, and, and that at least I'll have a boat or a yacht or something to take yeah. him out in to make him feel better about it. <laughs> dingy. <laughs> just a dinghy. Somewhere we can just slip into a kayak or something. Yeah, Nick and Christian, thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Thank we you. We appreciate your support greatly.